we're going to jump right into today's word as we continue this series on Esther. I hope you all have been enjoying it. I hope you're going back and you're reading this story and, and uh, applying the notes in your, in your everyday life. This is not just story time uh, Sunday mornings. These, these lessons, these sermons are for us to take and to apply to our life. And uh, I believe today is absolutely no exception to that. We're going to be looking at how the enemy works today. And we're going to be looking at how uh, there's one way to react to the enemy, and then there is another way to react to the enemy. There is a wrong way, and then there is a right way. But before we do that, we have to identify and understand how the enemy works. And we're going to be looking at, when, when I say the enemy, I'm talking about Satan, all right? I'm talking about the devil, all right? And we see that personified in this man, Haman, in this story today. Haman is the villain in the story of Esther, and how he operates in chapter 3 is very much an illustration of how the enemy works in our lives today. So let's pay special attention as we begin in Esther chapter 3, verse 3. Then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated, for he had told them he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. Okay, so first, before we get any further, just something, this is almost an aside, but I want to make very clear that Tattletales are always around, okay? They were around then and they are around now. And Mordecai is dealing with some tattletales, some guys that see that he is not bowing down to Haman and they're going to go knock on Haman's door and say, hey, Haman, by the way, there's this guy, Mordecai, he's a Jew and he's not bowing down to you. What are you going to do about it? Okay, so right off the bat, we see that there are tattletales. Everyone, we love tattletales, don't we? Um, but what we see here, especially from Haman, as he gets the news, what we need to first realize is that Haman and Mordecai, there's no history between them. They don't know each other. There's not, this per there's not already this thing between them. All right? If it weren't for the tattletales, Haman wouldn't even know that Mordecai is not bowing down to him. But then once he's told, then he realizes it, and he also understands that Mordecai is a Jew, and it says that he hates him. He hates Mordecai because he doesn't bow down to him and because he is God's chosen. How much do you think he feels about us? When we reject the enemy because we are God's chosen people, I'm telling y'all right now, he hates it and he hates you for it. And we need to know that right off the bat. Because that explains what goes on further in this chapter. But know that as God's chosen, as his sons and as his daughters, and when we choose the Lord and we reject him, he hates us. We don't have to have prior history. The second that we turn our lives over to Jesus, the hatred begins. Because we have said no to him and yes to Jesus. And we are now the Lord's. And so he treats us the same exact way. He hates Mordecai. Also, what it shows us is that the enemy is greedy. Y'all, the enemy is very, very, very greedy. 
It says in these few verses that it's not enough, it's not enough that he just kill Mordecai. All right, that's not enough. He's got to wipe out every Jew in all of Persia, all 127 provinces of this huge nation because one guy wouldn't bow down to him. He's greedy. He wants more. Pastor Steve used to say the enemy always overplays his hands. And he does. He overplays his hands every time because he always wants more. He could have very easily just killed Mordecai and gone on with his day. He was the second in command. Mordecai wasn't bowing down. He was breaking the king's law. Done. Kill him. It's over. Go on with your day. But the enemy's greedy. And he wants more. And he wants more. He wants all the Jews, not just Mordecai. He wants them all. Because he hates all of God's chosen people. In verse 8 it says, Then Haman said to King Xerxes, There is a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all other people, and they do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. So what we see here is it sounds a lot like Haman is operating in the best interests of the king, right? He didn't even say so. It is not in the king's interest to tolerate them. He's going to the king saying, king, check this out. There's, a, there's these people and they're, they're not upholding your customs and they're different and they do all these things and they're causing all this chaos. So we just need to get rid of them, king, because that's the best thing for you. That's the best thing for you is that, is that you get rid of these people. But, but in doing so, Haman is leaving out all sorts of details. He never tells the king who he's talking about, right? He manipulates the situation to make it sound like it is in the king's best interest. But really, listen here, y'all, really it is in his best interest. It is in Haman's best interest that they get rid of all the Jews. Because what we've learned uh, in prior weeks of this study is that there's all this history and hatred between Haman and the Jews. So though it sounds like he is operating in the king's best interest, he is truly operating in his own. And he's doing so by, by omitting all sorts of details. Right? All sorts of information that, would, that the king should know. Like maybe, I don't know, if you get rid of this entire people group, your kingdom is going to shrink. If you get rid of this people group, your economy is going to suffer. He doesn't want the king to know this. And if we know anything about the king, we know that he likes the size of his kingdom. He likes all the money. He likes the grandness of it, right? The entire first chapter is all about that. And here is this Haman, this guy that's supposed to be working on behalf of the king, actually working in his own interest. And he's lying to the king about it making it sound like it's something that would benefit him when in reality it would be the complete opposite. Verse 10. So the king took his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadetha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. Keep the money, the king said to Haman, and do with the people as you please. So this is the second time in three chapters, not even three full chapters, that we see the king do something incredibly irresponsible. He gives his authority away. The enemy is in the room. 
talking to him face to face. And as king, he just says, yeah, do whatever you want. Here's my ring. Keep your money. Eliminate these people. I'm not going to ask any questions. All right? I'm not going to ask any information like, who are you talking about? Right? Seems like a pretty basic question to ask. What's this people group? He doesn't even do that. He gives his authority away as king to the enemy. And I wish I could say that I never do that. But there are times in my life when I do the exact same thing. And I know we've talked about this already, but if this happens twice in a story, it bears repeating, y'all. We cannot give our authority away as sons and daughters of the king of kings to the enemy. All right? And not only that, but we don't have to. We don't have to. But the thing is, with the enemy right in the room, King Xerxes didn't recognize him. He couldn't identify the enemy when the enemy was staring him right in the face because he didn't ask any questions. He didn't have anything to go to to question what his motives were, what his intentions were. But guess what, y'all? We have that. We have the word of God. All right? We have the word of God, not the word of James. All right? Not the word of today. Not the word of the 21st century church, right? The word of God, which is firm and is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I want, listen, I want to look at this this morning because it's so important. And where we see this word of God being used as the authority, we talk about, listen, Xerxes gave his authority away. God never gives his authority away, ever. And his authority, y'all, is found in Scripture, it's found in Scripture. And where the enemy always, uh, he always masks himself to work in our best interest, but really is working on the interest of himself. Listen, the Word of God is the only thing. It is the only thing that works for our best interest. It is it. There is nothing else. And we might open it, and it might hurt a little bit sometimes when we read it, and it might burn our flesh a little bit. But the point of it is all in our best interest. It is how we grow. It is how we become Christ-like. There is no other recipe. There is no other book. It is the word of God. And praise God that it doesn't change, that it is the same. But we have to know it so that when the enemy comes into our room, we can see him and identify him and say, no, 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 no. That's not the word of God. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is in the wilderness, and it says, uh, He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Sounds like the enemy's has Jesus' best interest at heart, right? Turn those stone into bread. You can eat. You're hungry. Bow down and all this will be yours. Sounds pretty good. 
He even uses scripture. He uses it incorrectly, out of context, which is a tactic still used today. But Jesus answered with the authority. The authority of the word of God. Listen, y'all, we have to get in the word. If you're not reading the Bible regularly, I want to encourage you to do so. Read the word. That's why everything that we do here at Beaches Chapel is built on the word of God. Nothing, we, we don't just come up with stuff. We go back to the word. What does the word say? What, and sometimes we have to re get redirected. What does the word say? What are we going to do? Because that is the authority. And that's what Jesus used. Jesus is smarter than Xerxes. He saw the enemy for who he was when Xerxes couldn't. Why? Because Jesus was the word. Satan was trying to manipulate him. He was trying to act like he was working out of his own interest when really it was in, his own, in the devil's own interest. And, his, and he wasn't giving all the details. Jesus, eat this bread because then when you do, you're going to be a sinner and your sacrifice is gone. Jesus, bow down and all this will be yours, but really it won't be yours. It'll be mine and you'll be mine. Hey, so-and-so, click that button on your computer. You'll be immediately satisfied with what you see. But really the, the guilt and the shame and the, and the cracks that form in your marriage and other relationships are going to form. Take that drug because it'll make you feel good in the moment and all these, forget all the other stuff that's going to happen afterwards. Tell that bit of juicy gossip because that's going to really satisfy your soul for a minute. But then people are going to stop trusting you. They're not going to be your friend anymore. Do this, do that. It's going to be really good right now. Let's not worry about the repercussions. We don't need to talk about those. That's how the enemy works. And we need to understand, as sons and daughters of God, we can, we can look at Satan in the face and say, get out of here. And that's what Jesus says. He says, get behind me. You're done. Get out of here. Xerxes could have done that. He was king. He could have looked Haman in the eye and said, get out of this room. And he would have had to leave just like that. And this is what is so important about the dynamic of this conversation. In every conversation is, is this, y'all. Listen, the enemy, as powerful as he might be or think he is, still has to ask permission from the king. Yeah. Haman was not the most, most powerful in all of Persia, and he knew it. That's why he had to go to the king and say, hey, can I do this? The enemy is not in charge. The enemy doesn't have authority because God will never give him that authority. Even when Jesus came and he gave Jesus, he never gave his authority. He gave a sacrifice which had authority over death. But God never gives his authority away. Nor should we. Nor should we, y'all. We have to understand that when the enemy comes and tries to appeal to us, he is only looking out for his own interests. And his own interest, by the way, is to destroy you because he hates you. And so the king gives his authority away. And as he does, the enemy moves quickly. When we give our authority away, man, the enemy just moves so fast. 
In verse 12 it says, Then on the thirteenth day of the first month, the royal secretaries were summoned. They wrote out in the script of each province and in the language of each people all Haman's orders to the king's satraps, the governors of the various provinces, and the nobles of the various peoples. These were written in the name of King Xerxes himself and sealed with his own ring. Dispatches were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, on a single day. The thirteenth day of the twelfth month, the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. A copy of the text of the edict was, is, was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality, so they would be ready for that day. The couriers went out, spurred on by the king's command, and the edict was issued in the citadel of Susa. The king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was bewildered. The city of Susa is bewildered because they're like, what's wrong with this people? Why would they want to annihilate all the Jews? They're not causing an uprising. There's no mutiny. For, by and large, the Jews were good citizens in Persia. So this makes no sense. But what we see here is such a picture-perfect imagery of Satan. The edict has gone out. The Jews are going to be wiped off the face of the earth. And Haman sits down and has a drink. He is toasting to a job well done. I have annihilated and wiped off the face of this earth as they knew it in Persia, greatest empire in all the world, all of the Jews. Cheers. That's the enemy. He toasts to our annihilation. He toasts to our misery, and he does not give it a second thought. But guess what? We don't have to bow down to him. We don't have to succumb to him when he comes into our room and tries to get us to do things, say things, whatever it might be in our life. We don't have to be like Xerxes and give our authority away. The other reaction is this, starting in chapter 4. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict, for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explained it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Here's, when I read that, here's what I think. What sticks out to me more than anything in all of this is actually when it says that Esther sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. In other words, he's saying, look, I'm not going to pretend to be okay when things are not okay. 
I'm not going to put on this, this fake facade, this mask, these other clothes when I am in deep mourning. Right? This is severe. This is real. And I'm not going to pretend that everything is okay when everything is not okay. I'm going to make it known. I'm going to make it known to my people, to you, Esther. I'm going to make it known. I'm not going to carry this around in hiding. My goodness, we are good at that. On Sunday mornings, we are great at that. During the week, we are really good at that. We're dying on the inside, but what we're wearing on the outside looks just fine. Mordecai says, no, I'm not wearing that. I'm mourning over this. This is real, and I'm going to let it be known. I'm going to let it be known. And then it says he begs for mercy, and, and uh, actually it says, ask Esther to beg for mercy and to plead with him. Esther, you've got to do something. You've got to help us. We've got to, we're not just going to sit here, right, in our misery. You can do something about it. He asks for help. He asks for help. And he doesn't just sit there and wallow in it. He keeps his sackcloth on and he asks for help. Beg and plead whatever you have to do. Whatever you have to do, Esther, do it. Verse 9, Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that any, of, any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But thirty days have passed since I was called to go to the king. So, we know that this is a legitimate concern for Esther because up until this point, all we've seen from Esther is that she, when she's asked of anything from Mordecai, she says, okay, I'll do it. Don't tell the people in the harem that you're Jewish. Okay. She's queen now. Continue to not tell people that you're Jewish. Okay. Even from Haggai, the, 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 main, the main eunuch in the harem. Hey, I want you to do this. Okay, do that. Okay, when you go to the king, bring this. Okay. She's always teachable. She's always obedient. She's always humble by those that are over her, right? Well, here we have this moment where Mordecai is saying, you got to do something. You got to go beg. You got to go plead to the king. And she says, you know what? I don't think I can do that. Because if I do that, if I go to the king unannounced and he doesn't want to see me, the only law that the king cannot overturn, by the way, that there is, is that I'd be put to death. And so I'm not really sure that's the best thing to do, Mordecai. Why don't we come up with a plan B? She's freaking out. Otherwise, she wouldn't just change all of a sudden. Not to mention the fact that she hasn't seen her husband in 30 days. He hasn't called on her to see her one time. Let's just consider the state of Esther here for a moment. Let's get real. This king is not exactly Johnny Romance, right? The last queen that he had that didn't do what he wanted is banished. Now here's Esther, who's also still hiding her Jewish descent from him, and he hasn't talked to her in 30 days. You want to talk about hearing voices? Esther is not in a good place. I'm going to say that again. 
Esther is not in a good place. When this comes to her, this instruction, this plea for Mordecai to go to the king and, and save the Jews, she's not in a good place. I want to drive that point home because there are so many times in our life where God is saying, it's time for you to step up. I've got something for you. I've got a job for you to do. I've got this, that, or the other. And we go, God, you know, I would, but I'm just not in a good place. I'll get to that. I promise I will, Lord. I just, I just need to... I just need life to be a little bit more organized for me. I need there to be a little more structure. I need to get through this, this not good place that I'm in. I would, Lord, but I'm not in a good place. And Esther is not in a good place here. Yes, she's queen, but she hasn't been called by the king for 30 days. What is going to happen to her if she knocks on the door to see the king and he's having a bad day, right? Or he, or he ate some bad pizza or whatever it might be. And he's like, you know what? I don't want to see you right now. Why, why would you come here? I haven't seen you in 30 days. You think I want to see you now? Death. It's a tough call. She's not in a good place for this. It says in verse 12, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, check this out. This is what he says. In his mourning with the sackcloth and the ash, pleading, he says, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Listen, y'all. God's plans are God's plans, all right? They're not dependent on if we listen or not. And what Mordecai is saying is like, look, God's going to deliver us. He's going to deliver us. But perhaps you were made queen for this very moment. But I'm not in a good place. It doesn't matter. Because last time I checked, the Bible says that in our weakness, we are made strong. In our weakness, in those moments of weakness, when we continue to say, God, I'm weak, I'm not in a good place, but I'm going to take that step anyway, then we are made strong. Then we are made strong. Because then, and only then, can we give glory to the Lord. Because I don't know about y'all, but if it's me and I got just a little bit of strength in me, and I take that step, it's going to be like, woo, look at me. I did it. But if I'm in that not so good place and I don't have any strength and I take that step, then I can only say, God, it's because of you. It's only because of you, Lord. There is no other explanation. There's no other reason. It was not because of me because I can't do it. I was in a not so good place. But I did it. I took that step and you showed up on the scene, Lord. You did it through me. And I don't know about y'all, but there's nothing better than that, that knowing that you know that you know that you were used by the Lord. It is the most awesome, humbling, rewarding feeling that you can possibly get. It's incredible. So if you're in that not so good place right now, that's where God wants to use you. He's like, you're, that you're in the perfect place. You're in the perfect place. Because I'm going to show you just how strong I am through you. So don't run from it. Don't use it as an excuse. 
See it as the very purpose for why you are where you are. For God's glory. Perhaps, perhaps you are where you are at in your life for such a time as this. I'm going to ask you, what is your Esther moment? What is your Esther moment in your life? Chances are, it's not filled with rainbows and butterflies. But it's in a being, it starts by being in a not so good place. But that could very well be your Esther moment where God's saying, I have you right, right where I want you. It's not by accident. You didn't happen into this or trip into this place. Has it been hard? Yes, but I'm about to use you in a way that you couldn't possibly imagine. If you will just step out into it, if you will just in your weakness become strong through me and you will see the glory of God shine through you. What is your Esther moment? What is your Esther moment? You might have already had one. I'm sure there's another one coming. Verse 15, then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. How does Esther combat this, I'm not in a good place, I want to be used by God? Prayer. Prayer. She says, all right, I'm going to do it. And we'll first, before I take that step into the king's room, we're going to bathe this in prayer, in fasting. That's where it all begins. We're going to do it. And then she's able to say, and if I die, I die. But I do so. I do so with the mindset that I am taking this step for the Lord. And that is enough for me. That is enough. Don't tell me that humility is not being strong. They are the exact same thing. They are one together. In her, in her humility, in her humble approach to God, she takes the step with strength to say, if I die, I die. But I do it for the Lord. That is strength right there. That is courage right there. And that is being humble before the Lord right there. And she does it, but she does it all first with prayer. We see that exact same thing. We see this exact same thing in Matthew chapter 26. We're going to have the band come up as we close this morning. Jesus is in a not so good place. As we read in verse 36 of Matthew 26, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and asked them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Yeah, Jesus is in a not good place. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for an hour? He asked Peter. 
Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. If I die, I die. Jesus knew he was going to die. He's in this garden, and before he takes that step, which is so hard for him to take, knowing what is coming, he prays. He prays. And after the praying, he says, all right, now let's go. And if I die, I die. We need to understand that Jesus was not in a good place when he took those steps to the cross. But he did it. He paid that sacrifice. He was nailed to the cross so that we would never have to be in our not so good place alone ever again, ever again. So that we're in those moments that are not good, that are gut-wrenching, that hurt, and we wanna cry out, God, we can and know that he is right there with us in the room. Because Jesus didn't stop because he wasn't feeling up to it because things weren't so good. Things were terrible. His soul was, he was so sorrow to the point of death in the garden. He wasn't even to the cross yet. But he said, I'm gonna go. And if I die, when I die, then I die. But I'm gonna be raised again. I'm gonna be raised again. And I'm gonna be with every single one of my people. When the enemy tries to come into the room, I'm going to be there with them so that when they say leave in Jesus name, that enemy is going to leave in Jesus name. So that when they're so filled with my word, with my truths, that they're going to be able to combat the enemy. They're going to be able to get through those seasons. So yes, when I die, I die, but I will be raised again for my people. And there will be victory in me no matter how hard the enemy tries to come after them. Haman did a dishonoring thing by lying to the king. He dishonored the throne. How much more so does the enemy dishonor God when he comes after his children? It does not sit well with the Lord. It does not sit well with the Lord that the enemy tries to come after us and destroy us and tempt us and lie to us and say that he's acting in our best interest when he's only acting in his own best interest. But in those moments where we are in our not good place, how do we react? Do we take those clothes and put them on and act like everything's okay? Or do we say, no, these are not okay. I'm staying in my sackcloth and I'm going to reach out for help and I'm going to pray and pray and pray to the Lord who is alive. It's not, well, y'all, it's not gonna work if we just pretend like everything's okay. Of all places, especially here at Beaches Chapel, I, I, we're not gonna ask for a show of hands, but I'm gonna tell y'all something right now. None of us have it all together. None of us. So we should probably stop pretending like we do. And when we're in those places, like many of us are right now, be like Mordecai, be like Esther and say, I'm gonna take that step and I'm gonna do so in prayer. 
even if I'm hurting, even if I'm scared, even if I'm wailing in the streets, I'm gonna continue to take that step towards the Lord and I'm gonna continue to reach out to my church family to pray with me and for me. That's why we have a prayer chain. That's why we have prayer warriors in our church. If you have been in a not good place and you've been just getting beat up by the enemy, and first, especially if you don't know Jesus, this is your moment to receive Jesus. When you've been trying to do it all on your own, trying to figure out life on your own, and it's not working. You might think it's working a little bit here and there, but really deep down, you know it's not working. It's time to turn your life over to Jesus because you know what? He's already done it all for you. All you have to do is say, I receive, I receive. and Let him save you. And if you've already received Jesus, but you still feel like you're in that room with the enemy and it's in a not good place. And maybe you've given up the, your, your authority. Maybe you've listened to him and believed that he's been talking in your best interests. Or you're just struggling in general. Whatever that looks like to you, what you need to do is be like Mordecai and be like Esther. Say, we're gonna pray about this. I'm not gonna pretend that everything's okay. If we could have our elders come up. We're gonna have an altar call this morning. If that's you and you need prayer, this is not the time to worry about what the person next to you is thinking. They don't care. I know pretty much everybody in here. Nobody in here cares. Don't let the enemy tell you that because he's only working in his own interest as well when he tells us that we don't need to come up to the front or what are people gonna think or I've, whatever. It's stupid, y'all. It's so stupid. If you need prayer, come up for prayer. That's simple. We're gonna worship. We're gonna take time. Whatever you're going through in your life, if you need that, you come up, let's stand up. Father, thank you, Jesus, that you are always in the room, that we're never alone. God, if we're in a not good place in our own lives right now, Jesus, that might be the very time that you wanna use us the most. God, your word says, in our weakness, we are made strong. Strengthen us now, Father. Strengthen us with your word. Strengthen us with your truth. Strengthen us by your Holy Spirit. God, forgive us when we've been walking around like everything's okay, but on the inside, we've been dying. Give us strength, Lord. Give us strength to admit that, yeah, things aren't great but also to know that we go to the throne of a God who is above everything, a God who never gives his authority away, a God who is for us and is not against us. We are your sons and daughters, O Lord God. O Lord God of Israel, we are your sons and daughters. We are yours, Lord. Move on our behalf, God. Be our strength. Be our shelter. Be our strong tower, Father. God, for those that have come to church with smiles on their face, but spend their nights weeping at home. God, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would be there for them and you would strengthen them and you would say you are not alone and you don't need to hide. You don't need to act. But that this could be a very, this could be, this could be your moment. If that's you this morning and you need prayer, I just encourage you to come up. Let's worship.